What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 60 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today for episode 60, we get to sit down with a gentleman that I have followed for quite a while now. His name is Dan Rockwell. You may not know his name, but if you're on Twitter or you're a blog blogosphere person who loves getting great leadership information, you have heard the guy, Leadership Freak. He is one of the most read bloggers in the world and absolutely one of the thought leaders that's in our society. I love that uh, he has such a diverse background. He has an MBA and his undergrad from theology to pastoral ministry to construction and design. He's been all over. He's owned businesses. He's worked as a consultant. He mentors instructors. He works with companies all over the country. In his wealth of knowledge, he has a great ability to boil it down and make it super simple. He began his blog back when nobody was blogging back in 2010 and really became a thought leader through that blog. And today, he is he is the guy for anyone freakishly interested in getting better in leadership. American Management Association voted him one of their top 30 leaders in business in 2014. And he is just, he's just an amazing guy. And it was so fun to sit down and hear the story behind the story. So today's definitely a day you want to pin. Today's definitely a day you want to type. You're going to want to want to listen in close because he's got some nuggets and some pearls that you're going to absolutely love. So I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to pull up a chair and listen in to the leadership freak himself, Mr. Dan Rockwell. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. I tell you, it's great to be here, Mike. I really appreciate the invitation. Well, you have become one of America's go-to leadership guys. How in the world... Did you get from where you were, and we'll get into your background a little bit, to now a guy whose blog has 450,000 subscribers, your tweets are things that people, their leadership gold. How did you get there? How did that process come about? Right. Uh, as far as the leadership freak kind of yeah, position? leadership freak and, and, and where you've gotten to today. Right. Um, so Leadership Freak is about eight years old, I think, uh, maybe a little bit more than that. And and uh, I just started writing. I'm, I'm not a big planner as far as, uh, you know, gee, I want to write a blog and then I'm going to end up giving keynotes and, <laughs> you know, coaching leaders. I didn't do that. I just really, uh, it sprang out of dissatisfaction with my own life. Um, I wanted a little more. I wanted to make a, a better contribution. I, it wasn't that I wasn't already, but um, so it's interesting. 
it started, I think, with uh, with a sense of uh, maybe there's more for me to do and more for me to offer. Wow. Did you consider yourself eight years ago a leadership guy? Would you have said That's, people yeah. really want to know what I've got to, got to say about leadership? Well, you know, and this, uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, it, it, I, it, uh, the, uh, the focus on leadership comes from two places. I had uh, a year or two before just finished my MBA, so I got that late in life. Uh, things like org development and that kind of stuff really kind of started floating my boat. Uh, but uh, honestly, the deeper motivation for Leadership Freak is that uh, I've been involved in leadership all my life since I was like 16, and uh, I've really sucked at it for most of that time. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, uh, you know, again, I'm kind of writing out, I'm writing to myself, I'm writing out of need, I'm right, I'm solving my own problems, I'm uh, dealing with issues that I'm grappling with. Did you just find that those issues were universal? Golly, I'm not by myself. It's resonating with other people. Yeah, well, what happened is I made a commitment. I had no idea what it meant because the only writing I'd ever done was, uh, you know, like contracts and things. I was working at a Penn State affiliate at the time. And, and uh, so I had no idea what, the, what it was going to take to write, but I just made a commitment to myself that I would write five days a week for a year. I didn't know that was a lot. That's a heck of a lot, you know? <laughs> a lot. And, and uh, I said, you know, if it gets traction, uh, then I'm going to keep doing it. And that was really the, as deep as the plan went. And I, a couple months in, I had subscribers from 15 or 20 countries and, you know, USA, of course. And, and I thought, well, there's something to this. And it did get traction, mostly by accident. I mean, seriously, it got traction. That is amazing. And now you have a massive amount. Are you still going five days a week? Are you still on that commitment that something um, comes out? Or yeah. have you slowed up a little bit? No, um, it's it's something. It's more than that at this stage because I'm really working on a book. So, for example, the last couple of weeks I've been writing about complaining and criticizing, mm -hmm. and I might put something out in the morning and something in the afternoon, and I'm going to then take those, uh, you know, blog posts and massage them and take that material and and put it into the book. And so, I'm using it now, you know, still for myself. I'm just so you know, like for example, this complain criticize thing words are so powerful mm -hmm. and and it's really just pulling me toward it so uh, you know i'm going to write about lying i'm going to write about gossip i'm going to write about this or that and then there'll be a section in the book about these are the, to be successful you uh, there are certain things you need to stop doing it's not mm -hmm. what you have to do it's what you need to avoid that will help you succeed and that this stuff will be in that section so i'm writing actually even more these days i still get up in the morning four o'clock today i got up this morning and i had in my mind where i wanted to go and i just put my hands on the keyboard and i start banging her out and i post it in the morning that day i do not do it ahead of time that is amazing so none of it's pre it's not preloaded it's in it, the moment it's hit hot and fresh and out uh, pretty much. Occasionally, the travel part of it makes it a little awkward sometimes. Even this morning, I had to, because uh, I ended up being on the road, I had to schedule it to post. But um, <clears throat> most of the time, if, and if I'm home all the time, I just get, I go down in my office and I just bang her out. I love it. I love it. And we've got links to all this in our show notes, because if you aren't a subscriber to Leadership Freak and you don't follow you, and, and, and truly, it was so funny I had followed you on Twitter for years and probably retweet you twice a day. I retweet one of your leadership freak quotes. 
And, and I heard you on a podcast recently and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, you're the, you're the guy I've always read you and I've always seen you, but I've never, never heard. I never even heard you talk before, before I went yeah. in and heard the, heard the blog that you were on and the podcast that you were on. Do you find yourself, do, do you feel like Dan eight years in and you think about it all the time? Do you feel like you're better at leadership now? Do you feel like, man, I'm more, I'm more skilled and definitely have more in the tank now? Yeah, I, th- I think so. And, and, you know, I'm also just aware of the, the, the tendencies to like focus on the negative. I write about the positive a lot. And, and, and so, and I'm having coaching conversations or I'm working with the team and, and, and I'm just aware that my mind goes to the dark and I have to like, pay attention to that and say, where do you want to go? And so I, you know, people who've read me for a while kind of hear, you know, my, one of my, what do you want? Cause I know <laughs> what I don't want, right. That's where I go. Well, that's really, that's part of leadership, but you got to be forward facing. So yeah, I hope I'm getting a little better slowly, but surely. That's so good. That is so good. It's so interesting too, because you've got such a eclectic background with a degree in theology, pastoral ministry, construction and design, you've gotten your MBA. Do you find yourself leaning into all of that that you've learned that really you think sort of makes you more of a well-rounded, you think about it from a lot of different angles? Do you see all that playing in? Well, the theological side, the biblical side of things is always plays a role. And so it's a foundational side of, of my writing and my life. Uh, but the other stuff for sure, you know, getting being involved in higher education, being involved in construction and renovation, all of those things. And I, I have a, a wide background anyway, I've always been a reader. And uh, I'm finding now, and I never really realized it until I started getting into this, that I just have a lot of stuff in me that, you know, because I read maybe, you know, ancient literature or I read philosophy or, you know what I'm saying? There's a mm-hmm. lot there. So thankful for that. That's awesome. When you were growing up, and I think Southern Maine, is that correct? Central Maine. Central Maine. Yep. So you grew up in Central Maine. When you were growing up, what did you see yourself doing when you grew up? Uh, hermit. I was going to be a hermit. Uh, I grew up on a dairy farm. And my dad was, uh, and my dad is fantastic. Uh, was fantastic. He passed away a couple of years ago, but, uh, honestly, I, it's funny because I don't know exactly where that came from, but I always thought, yeah, I want to just be a hermit. <laughs> that is great. That is great. I have never, you know, I've heard a lot of things kids aspire to. That's a first, man. I've never yeah. heard that before. <laughs> That's solid. There should have been a firefighter or something. No, he wants to be a hermit. His aspiration is a hermitage or whatever. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And then, so did you see yourself during that season that you were a pastor and in ministry? Did you think that was going to be a career or was that more of a short-term thing for you? Yeah, um, I became a believer at at 13. And uh, really, from that point on, I always imagined myself in front of people. And even as a 13 year old kid, I imagined myself, I love basketball, played basketball in school. And I imagined myself gathering the team around and like, speaking, preaching, you know, and all of that. And, and, uh, you know, how many 13 year old kids do that? you know, that I spoke for the first time when I was 16 publicly. And so I've always kind of saw myself that way. Just, just, it just happened. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty good picture of what you're doing now. 
maybe not how you thought you'd be doing it, but yep. it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. You, you I, I've heard you talk about, and I love, and I want to dive in on this. You say crisis shaped leadership. You know, when a person walks through a crisis, when an organization walks through a crisis, it really does shape leadership. What, what's that mean to you? Yeah, you I think, think on a personal, so? yeah, I think there's a personal side of this uh, and the shaping of your own leadership, and that's important. Leadership free kind of springs out of a, a midlife crisis. I'm a huge fan of midlife crisis. We ought to have a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, because life shifts and we, uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I, I was about 50, you know, and, and I was in one of those decade markers and just evaluating my life. And, uh, I'll tell you if on a personal level, these moments are so powerful because we learn to define ourselves by who we are or how God made us instead of what everybody expects from us. So as, as we grow, we, you know, young, we, we want to please our parents and we want to please our teachers. And then we want to please our friends and we want to please our boss. And, you know, we're, we're living this life of pleasing. And I'm not saying that we should be displeasing. What I'm saying is that there comes a point where all of a sudden you, you got to define yourself by how God made you, not by what other people expect. And for me, that's what those personal crisis moments are. And it's an ongoing process. That's good. You know, I know Blackaby, we were talking a little bit earlier about a spiritual leadership book. I know he calls it a crisis of belief. He said, every person in life will have to come to a apex and, and cross a crisis of belief. What have those crises taught you most about you? When you've gone through those seasons, what have you learned most about you? Mm, mm. I think um, to, that I'm a pleaser. That's good. <laughs> you know, I think that that, that uh, I'm a people pleaser, and that may be some of the fuel for that the fire of that crisis, right? Because it becomes more and more dissatisfying as time goes by. So. I've learned that about myself. Um, as time has gone by, I mean, I learned that I love to work, which again comes from farm life when I was a kid. Uh, yesterday, I got up at four o'clock. Our kids are all grown now, and it happened that my wife was not home, and I was, you know, home in the office. And I worked from four a.m. to like seven thirty p.m. Um, I have a, a big capacity for work and enjoy it. And and uh, although I can be an extrovert, I'm finding that that hermit thing that I talked to you about, I don't mind that at all. I have no need to travel. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So I, you travel I, when you have to, but it's not something you enjoy. Yeah. Well, it's uh, I like to I like arriving. I don't right. like traveling, and I <laughs> I like to meet people. And you know, if you show up to serve, then you know you you, you won't be disappointed because you will have opportunities. And if you show up to have people serve you, then maybe you'll be disappointed. But so when I travel, and it's quite a lot these days, um, I just, you know, get off an airplane and and look for how can I serve people and you're you're never disappointed, you get an opportunity to do it. I love that. And I want to play off that a little bit, because that whole, that whole concept of showing up to serve you wouldn't think you would find that from a leadership expert, right? At some point you think, well, if I arrive at a certain level, then that is the level everyone serves me. I remember asking Andy Stanley, I said, Andy, how does a person become a servant leader? And he said, never stop asking the question, how can I help? 
He said, mm-hmm. if you do that, then you can you can stay a servant leader, which means if I'm not serving, then I'm asking those to serve me, which means ego is involved. And you write a lot about ego. How do you see ego destroy people, men, women, corporations, teams? What, what are your thoughts on what ego has done to people? Well, it it uh, does shift from, as you were saying, from serving others to serving me. You know, ego is about I need you to serve me, and I need you to protect me, and I need you to build me up, and I need you to protect my, me from my you know, don't make me look bad, and and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm, you know, I believe we need enough ego to to believe we can make a difference, that we have a place, that you know, that God put us here for a reason. I, I think that's important. Uh, we should not be so uh, egoless that um, we 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 are afraid to make a difference. But we have to have so we have enough ego to believe that we can serve and be helpful, but not so much mm. that it's like aha. I'm here, you know, and, uh, you know, bow down to me. The servant leadership movement, um, I think, has is, is been really helpful. He's had a conversation with Blanch- Ken Blanchard. Here's a guy 80 years old and serving away, man, and just, uh, you know, it's fantastic. What a great life. Yeah. Do you find that ego gets easier as you get older, or do you think it becomes more of a struggle for people as they get older in leadership? Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, I think Mike. But, and is it okay, Mike or Michael? Yo, Mike, please, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, back to you were asking me about how what's my leadership journey? Am I, you know, am I better now than I was? And I think awareness is such a big part of that, and seeing the tendencies of ego and pride. I mean, I write a lot about ego and pride and humility because I'm grappling with it every day. And, you know, you just, you, you get too big for your britches and you think you're, you, you start, you know, somebody sends you an email and Dan, this, you know, I get these emails, this, this really helped me and this hit me right at the right time. And, and then you start to think, wow, ain't I really something? No, no, you just pouring out of your cup, right? You're just, mm-hmm. you're serving. And sometimes if you throw enough spaghetti against a wall, it's going to hit somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? But <laughs> oh, that's so good. That is so good. And, you know, and I think, and I think that's so important because you've got your finger on the pulse of it. And man, we know just going back in scripture, ego's been, it's been around a long time and it ain't going anywhere. And so learning to keep that in check and learning to do that is something, it's probably a daily thing that you have to cut that, that awareness, that self-awareness to go, got to keep myself in check is, are there any tools that you use to help yourself do that? Well, I think when you start to you start to become disappointed that uh, the gift basket in the hotel room, you know, is not quite as fancy as the last one, or you had to get your own taxi instead of being picked up by a limo. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then you realize, ho ho ho! You you know your pants went on just like everybody else's this morning. Who do you you know what's going on? And, and but I think on the positive side, again, it's show up to serve, show up to make a difference, believe. Not that you're like all that, but that you do have something to offer and just give that, you know, give yourself to people. And uh, wow, it's, it seems to work. So you're banging out blogs, you're knocking them out every day. What's the most popular blog you've ever written or topic you've ever written on that you say, man, this resonates by far with the most amount of people? 
interesting because it was it was quite a while ago i got up one morning i didn't know some you know you, i didn't know exactly what i was going to write about and so this is an oldie man and uh, uh, i wrote so i was because i just wrote what was going on for me i didn't i couldn't think of what to write about i was kind of discouraged so i wrote about how to like you know not be discouraged and i wrote like i don't know 25 ways to overcome discouragement or something like that and and I was amazed that anybody even read it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, you know, don't get me wrong. It's kind of died out now. But at the time, it was incredible to me that it got, and it had been, it does for a long, it has for a long time gotten pretty good traction. Humility seems to be a good topic. I think, again, because it resonates in my own heart so much. Um You know, I write very practically for the most part. And so... It, you know, it may be about how to have meetings, how to have one-on-ones, how to, how to, uh, you know, encourage your team, how to, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So uh, it depends. I'm a little surprised sometimes. <laughs> what, what What's the most discouraging time you've ever walked through in leadership? You know, I think when you start to see yourself that you're not what you thought you were, and maybe you're not getting where you wanted to go that open you know that sense of of reality and discouragement is what either you know closes your heart off mm. and you you kind of protect yourself and you start to circle the black hole or you open yourself up and say okay uh yeah you're right i, I wasn't wasn't exactly what i thought i should be and or or i'm not being as effective as i want to be and and then okay so why don't you try something different? Yeah. And, and discouragement doesn't always go away quickly, you know? And, <laughs> and I think you, you probably see, like I do a lot of guys throwing in the towel, they get out, they get into that season and they can't get out of it quickly. It, mm. It's very hard. That is very hard, very hard season. Any tips for guys that you would give them that you say, man, here's lessons I've learned here. The, here's things I've watched others that are going through a season of discouragement. Yeah, don't go through this this by yourself. Mm. Um, you know, I talked about that. You know, midlife crisis kind of fifty time frame, and I did I, I did some reading. I kind of studied up on what these things were like, and it helped me a lot. But since then, I've been able to be part of people's lives, and I'll ask somebody who wants coaching, "Well, how old are you?" And they'll say, "Well, I'm forty." If they're on a decade marker, I'm. It always makes my years peer. You know peak up you know if they're 50 and sometimes my story is helpful and i think about all the people who have helped me mm. uh, so i think don't go through that by yourself man that's good do you find men more than women tend to isolate themselves that the whole hermit goal that you had as a child do you do you, <laughs> do you find do you find that people aren't as open to let people know what's going on with them yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. The the uh, women that I you know I know and my wife, of course, you know, I think they tend to be a little a little more relational usually, and the men tend to be a little more closed. Um, it takes a while. I have a couple of people. I've had a guy in my life for thirty years, and uh, he's like a brother to me. Uh, that that has been, and you know, he's the guy I can call up when some when I'm I'm angry about something, and I can just kind of share a piece of my mind that I shouldn't be sharing. Yep. I say, hey, I need somebody to talk to, you know. And uh, anyway, uh, but it, I think I'm a little slower at that. I'm a, I'm kind of skeptical. I'm a little more self protective, and that gets in the way. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I think it does for everybody. I think that is a universal. So you work, you see young leaders, you see older leaders. What would you say is the most prevailing misconception about leadership from young to old, something that they think that really isn't true? Is there a Mm -hmm. misconception that you sort of noticed through the years about leadership? Yeah, there are a few. Uh, One of the things that comes to mind is that it's about what you do um, instead of it's about how you enable others. I Mm -hmm. think, uh, you know, you think of yourself as the center. That's a huge, huge misconception. Um, I think the idea that you have to have all the answers, the pressure to have the answers is a huge misconception. you know, that you have to be telling people what to do all the time. Those, those things don't help your leadership at all, really. They hurt your leadership. Who do you learn from? So here you're, you're out there, I mean, you're one of the guys. Who do you look at? You mentioned Kim Blanchard. Who are some others that, you're, that are your leadership go-to guys that you still learn from? Mm. Well, let me just, in general, speak to that. Um, someone asked me the other day on an interview who my mentors were, and I said, "Well, it's the it's the person I'm talking with today." Mm. And uh, I did not realize when I started writing Leadership Freak uh, that there was going to be this point of joy in my life, and it is the conversations I get to have with authors and speakers and business people. So um, I'm, you know. It, whether it's Blanchard or, you know, Maxwell, I've had a couple of conversations with Maxwell, or it's, it's, some, it's, I just had a conversation with uh, Dr. Sonny Giles. Not a lot of people would know her. She's an innovation person. I just recorded a Facebook live and, and uh, you know, I'm going to learn from her. Um, I had lunch with Doug Conant, the former CEO of Campbell Soup. And, you know, I'm going to learn from him. I don't know as if there's one, uh, I'm uh, my favorite book is almost always the one I'm reading. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, and, you know, so I'm I'm not a the kind of guy that when I read a book I think well that you know that I didn't really like it. I'm always finding something that I that I like and I think gee that's awesome. You know what I mean? That's good. Does your do you have a hard time shutting your mind off? Does it? It sounds like you're somebody that that your mind's constantly whirling. Is that true? Oh my. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's everybody that knows me well knows me for a couple of things. One is uh, I've always been a question asker, and it drives people crazy. And I try to learn to, you know, tamp, you know, kind of pull that back a little when you don't know people. And reading, and uh, you know, I I posted this morning, and I would start to, if I can go to bed tonight thinking about what I want to write about tomorrow, it kind of gives my brain something to think about when I'm sleeping. And you know, yeah, yeah. That's so good. That is so good. I love, and I think, I think my favorite thing you've said today is your mentors are who I'm talking to today. I love that because I think sometimes it's really easy to go, well, I'll get something when at my three o'clock today, I'm with somebody really important and they're the person in the one o'clock may be the most important conversation I'm going to have all day. And you know, you never know. That's a great, great perspective for leaders as a really good yeah. Really good perspective. Well, you know, and you know, you work with people and, and um, you know, I might be coaching a young leader and I'm going to come away from that uh, conversation uh, different than I was before. I might get more out of it than they do. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just stay open. So your stuff on performance coaching is so on the money. In fact, in your, in the podcast I was listening to the other day, you were talking about, you're not a fan of the sandwich approach. 
to where mm. it's a it's a compliment, a criticism, then another compliment. Talk to us a little bit about why you think there's maybe a better, more effective method to coaching somebody in an ongoing relationship in an office where we're working with our team, we're working with people. What have you found to be more effective than that? Okay. So uh, we're th- you're thinking internal coaches, people who are working with their employees. Correct. Their own team. Yes, sir. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, this whole like feedback sandwich thing, it, I think it's ridiculous because it's a waste of great compliments because everybody's just waiting for the shoe to drop. So it's like you say, oh, you know, you're doing awesome with this and, and I'm sitting across from you and you're saying these good things and I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you kind of, you know, smack me with the, I call it the feedback sandwich is filled with bologna. And, <laughs> and, so th- and then, you know, you give me the bologna and then uh, at the end you say, and by the way, you know, we're really glad you're with us. And I'm walking out of there thinking, no, you're not. And I've got a whole message in there. Um, it, I just on that point of yeah. like, you know, giving feedback, um, Dan Pink's latest book called when, um, talks about, uh, and he brings us, he takes us back to Daniel Kenneman's work. Daniel Kenneman wrote, uh, thinking fast and slow. He's a no, he's a Nobel prize winning economist. His book thinking fast and slow is fantastic. Right. And, and he talks about, um, where what do we remember and we remember the first uh thing of an event like when you go to disney world and you show up at the park you remember the beginning you remember the end and you remember a peak well keeping that in mind when it comes to feedback you know you you want to get to the uh thing that you you want to deal with that's maybe an issue and then you want to spend most of your time looking to the future i was just working with some leaders in canada the other day and and, you know, they, they were doing their performance reviews, and I'm not a fan of that either, at least the traditional style. And, and he told me what they were doing, you know, they, they, they told me what they were doing and what it was going to look like. And, and I said, this feels kind of like looking to the past a lot. Where do you bring the future into that? And, you know, how can you bring the future into that? And that, I think, shifts thinking. So if you're working with your team, it's easy to get sucked into negativity and problems and just, you know, just... Yeah, you got to deal with some sort of performance issue, no, no question. But just make sure to turn that conversation to the future. Optimistic. What are we going to do about that? I have a little tool. I don't. I'm talking on and on here. I have a little tool of. Uh, uh, I say to people, draw a line on the on a paper, and uh, so let's say we're talking about. Uh, I don't know, getting meeting deadlines, right? And and so just put a hash mark on the line where you think you are. And I don't care where you put the mark. doesn't matter. I don't need to give you a number. You may overestimate yourself. I don't care. You may underestimate yourself. I don't really care. So, and then I'm going to say, say the left end of the line is bad and the right end of the line is perfect, right? And so you're, you're terrible on the left and you put the line somewhere, you know, you put your hash mark there somewhere. And then you just ask, well, why didn't you move it? Why wasn't the line closer to the bad end? And they get to talk about what they do well. Then you say, well, how might you move your hash mark a little more toward the good end? And and then you say, well, I could do this. And you want to get three options. Well, what else might you try? Okay. And and, okay, great. Let's say of these three options, which one would you like to, you know, put into practice this week? 
And so they're choosing, they're have, they have power, really they're designing their own development. And, and uh, then you say to them, okay, that's great. And, and, and then you say, okay, let's get together next week or in two weeks. And, and I'm going to ask you, you know, what did you try? How did it work? What did you learn? What do you want to do next time? And let them know ahead of time. Right. So it's, I've done this in, in front of large groups. You know, they say, how do you have these performance conversations? I said, how are you, uh, you know, I would ask them, how are you at uh, inspiring your team? Oh, that's freaky, you know, so draw yeah. a line, put a mark there somewhere. Why didn't you make it worse? Well, I'm good at this, I'm good at that. How might you move it to the, you know, the good end? Well, I could do this, I could do that. And Okay, well, which one of those would you like to try? It's not that difficult. And then you're holding them accountable for that, that which they said they needed to do, that they yeah, already so laid out. Yeah, and accountability it can take a couple of forms. One could be those questions that I said to you. The other, and I do this with my coaching clients uh, at the end of almost every conversation, I'll say, what question do you want me to ask you in our next call? Now, it might be if it's an employee who doesn't have enough experience to even know, you might need to say, okay, yeah, that's great. I'm going to ask you that. And hey, I'm also going to ask you about you know, this part of our conversation and how you did with uh you know, dealing with this customer problem. So you, you can add to it, but you want to give people as much control and power over their own journey. You don't want to be helpless. You want them to feel powerful. Do you find that that, that type of dialogue internally in a team for a leader that's leading an organization, leading a team, whether it's a coach or, or a, a principal or whatever it is, you, you made a comment in one of your blogs. You said the strength of an organization is measured by the depth of connection between team members. Do you find that these type conversations build a better depth than other types of conversations? Yeah, it, here's the key factor. It does the, do the leaders, the, the people on the team, does the organization have a sense that we believe in getting better is what we're here for. See, if getting better, see, if you say, I want to get better, what you're really saying is, well, I'm not exactly there yet. Well, some organizations can't stand that. You have to sort of have it all together. So if you're in an organization or if you're a leader who thinks everybody has to have it all together, this stuff is like not going to work. Everybody's posturing and protecting. And, and I'll tell you, I've seen some you know, teams just build these great strong connections. And so much of it starts with a leader who is very transparent, who is saying, yeah, I want to get better. Um, uh, you know, and right in front of the group, they might tell a story about themselves or something they're grappling with, or I'm trying to coach one of my employees and it's just not working. And everybody's like, wow, it's not working for him either. Right. And then they feel encouraged and then they can start working on solutions. And that can happen anywhere, can it? And it doesn't have to be a locker room that can happen in a office conference room, a boardroom. Do you find, do you find that there are just some leaders that get it? I mean, that, that, that whole, the team's never going to go past me. If I want the team to be transparent, I've got to be transparent. Do you find that there's just some leaders that aren't willing to make that sacrifice to get the team there? Yeah. What you see, what comes to mind for me, Mike, Mike, as you say, this is I think everybody wants to succeed, but uh, some leaders 
are too uh, nervous about being transparent, being vulnerable. They have these ideas about what leadership is like and, you know, that they have the answers and all that kind of stuff. And power can, I think, power and authority. You're, you're an owner of a business and you know so much more than the people on the team because you have so much more experience. And, and that can close your mind and close, you know, you, you, you adopt a, instead of a growth mindset like Carol DeWick talks about in her book, you know, grow, uh, the mindset, uh, you, you sort of have an I've arrived mindset. Uh, so, so some are like that. I, it's interesting because uh, I, I find uh, many leaders, the leaders I work with, obviously, <laughs> right, they're interested in growing. That's why they call me. So I, I, I don't have to deal with that so much, but I do find them uh, making progress, stumbling a bit, making more progress, falling back into old habits, going, you know, trying again. You know, I see that. If you could sit down with every young leader they're they're they haven't even they don't even have a file folder for mistakes yet they have they have not even they don't have their first success their first failure yet but they're they're new in it they want to be a leader and it may be of just a a small little team at their office but they want to be a leader what would you want to get across to them the most to be successful in this in the long run here's something you need to know anything stand out to you yeah, get a mentor, coach, mm. uh, start talking to people, stay open. Uh, I was asked in Nebraska and Omaha, you know, what I, you know, I look for in leaders and, you know, you have those basic things like integrity and those types of things. But beyond those things, curiosity is like the first thing I want to see. I was in Oklahoma last week and I sat down for lunch and a leader leaned over to me and he started asking questions. That's more unusual than you might think. And I thought to myself, and he was a young guy, and I thought, I would love to, I didn't say anything to him. I thought, I would love to work with you because you have that curiosity that's going to take you far. That's so good. It, it was funny. I was meeting, we've, we, we planted our church 21 years ago. <clears throat> and so we meet with a lot of churches that are coming out. They're new to the area. And I, all, I was telling a guy this the other day. I said, I can tell whether they're going to make it or whether they aren't going to make it but whether the guy coming to meet me brings a notebook mm -hmm. because if they bring a notebook, they're coming to ask questions, which means they're a learner. If they're bringing me their flyer of what they're about to do that they haven't done yet, they're probably not going to make it because they don't really want anybody else's opinion. They don't want to know what your speed bumps were and where the potholes are. They just, they're coming to tell you. And, and I think it's true in any industry, coaching, business, wherever it is. You, you mentioned, Dan, you said at 13, you, you became a believer and began to walk with the Lord. How does your faith influence you now? How does your faith play into the leader that you are today? Yeah, I think fundamentally it, it comes back to uh, the belief that you're here uh, to, to do something and the, that you have been equipped. You have a place. I think mm -hmm. the idea of faith uh, in the day-to-day -day leadership realm is that uh, you have a place, you belong here, don't shy away, don't think you can do everything, but do what you can do, uh, bring what you have. I think that's maybe foundational. That's yeah. good. What do you think's the purpose God created you for? So he knits you together there in central Maine, you, you're on the scene. What, what's the purpose you think he created you for? Yeah, I'm a I'm a uh, help people get to the next step guy. I I, I 
That's what I'm all about. I, I, I drive people crazy who don't really want to get to the next step. You know, but if you want to get to the next step, uh, and I want to get to the next step too, don't get me wrong. Uh, if you want to get to the next step, then that's, uh, I'm just, I go nuts over that. That's just I, every day I get up. That's why I'm in a sense, why I'm writing the blog. That's why I'm doing coaching. That's why I go speak. How do we get, to, I don't want to hear all kinds of theories. I want to hear what are we going to put into practice to see how that will work and come back and evaluate. Out of all the things you do, what gives you the most energy? I don't, you, you're right. Yeah. You speak, you coach yeah. all those things. What gives you the most energy? It's a couple of things. Um, the speaking thing, it, this is part of where ego comes in. Um, the speaking thing is uh, fun. I mean, it's nerve wracking, makes my stomach hurt, you know, and all of that. But um, once you get up there and get going um, and you, you feel the respect of the audience, um, that is very energizing for me. So I'm just going to be very transparent about that. Um, the coaching thing um, is very rewarding and it also usually doesn't require travel. So that's exciting yes. too. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I love the coaching. I love to uh, just be curious about a leader and with them and, and bring them, you know, I just had a conversation with a leader who is going into like a high, high potential meeting in their organization. So they're going to go through these interviews and be considered for new positions. And I said, uh, so how do you want them to perceive you? And this leader said, and started talking about skills and all that. And I said, hey, you're at the table because they already know that about you. How do you want them to feel about you? Hmm. Boy, we had to kind of dig into that because that was not, you know, they're at that level where they're do, do, do. Yep. If you're going to go to that upper level, you've got to get into the more of the relationship stuff and, you know, all that kind of, you know, yep. your skills got you there. It's like what Goldsmith says, what got you here won't get you there. That's right. And, it, and so it's so fun to watch people not give them the answer, just kind of lay it out there and give them an opportunity to reflect. That is so good as you're coaching clients and you're diving in that stuff, do you find that most people are willing to go if, if they've approached you and said, man, I want to be a coaching client that they're willing to go places that aren't comfortable to them or do you even find there's even resistance, even in that coaching? Yeah. Um, I learned from my coach. Yes, there is resistance. The answer to that question is there is, we all have blind spots. Somebody might say something to us and it's like, nah, that's not true. And, uh, you know, I might say something to someone that I see in them and they're like, no, you know, uh, my coach, uh, taught me and I'm, you know, I believe in coaching and if I'm not going to be a hypocrite, I'm going to have a coach. Right. That's right. And so I watch him, he'll bring something up to me and he'll see me backpedaling and, you know, kind of like excusing and whatever and he'll back off for a little bit but i've learned i can see him making a circle he's <laughs> going to come right back around he's going to bring that up again you got to be gentle with people and yeah. usually right uh, he's better at that than i am i'm a little more uh, sometimes like hey hey i was coaching a guy who was dealing with his board and uh, out in north dakota and and i said so what do you want to say to him and he told me and i know he's a fantastic communicator i knew him well and uh, so he told me, and I said, well, give me a little sample. He gave me a little sample. And I just said, you're so much better than that. <laughs> you know, I said, let's give it another try. And honestly, leaders pay me to do this because nobody else is going to do it. That's so good. Right? 
That is so. Now, do y'all meet once a week, once a month? How do you set up your coaching with clients? Yeah, um, I work on uh, like a monthly okay. or a six month or a you know a year kind of contract with people, and lots of them are you know they turn into long term relationships, and they. I don't like to go longer than like generally speaking once a month, twice a month would be good yeah. once a month, occasionally because leaders are very busy. Uh, it, you know, it could stretch out to six, uh, six weeks, but uh, I don't do every week coaching, uh, but I do what I do in an engagement is say to them uh, once we get, once I know who they are and I can, I feel comfortable with them. They give me a monthly uh, fee or a six month fee. And it's like, you can contact me anytime you want. That's great. You know, and they're busy. It's not yeah. like they're going to call me up every other day and say, Dan, what and I'm not an advice giver anyway, you know, I'm going to make them work. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, all the, all you're going to boomerang a question right back to them. So let them yeah. figure it out themselves. What's next for you. I know you're working on a book. What would you say is your next, your next step as a leader to keep growing? Yeah. Um, I, you know, the book thing is huge for me. It's always, I've never felt like, and I'm going to, I don't know how to say this other than to say, I never felt big enough to write a book. Mm -hmm. Never felt like, you know, and I don't have a long enough attention span to write a book. And that's why, by the way, 300 words a day, boom, I'm done. It's like, I can move on to something else. I got the attention span of a chipmunk on yep. steroids, you know? And, and, and so that's been, that's big for me, a huge challenge. And my coach is working with me to get that, you know, get that out. I really see myself um, a little less travel, a little more writing. Um, I would like to generate some product, maybe, you know, online things for teams. I'd like to do something with teams where, uh, what happened is I was out in Iowa uh, and the team there, they do an annual leadership thing. And they took my blog for that year. Everybody read it. Somebody picked what they call the freak of the week. And that became their point of discussion. And as far as a product goes, I think I could see, uh, I would love to, you know, say, okay, this month it's about uh, conversations. Next month it's about uh, feedback. Next month it's about humility. Next, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, maybe even, you know, video in once a month and, you know, but offer a product and, and, and just support teams. That sounds exciting to me. That's fantastic. So when, when Dan gets to the end of the days and you're looking back in the rearview mirror of life, what's the biggest thing you hope you accomplished yeah. with the time that God gave you? Yeah. Um, I, I'm, on my Twitter bio, it says, uh, my hope is that when people see me, they, they say that guy made my life better. And I, I, that's not exactly the best way to say it. Cause I'm not making, you're making your own life better. You know what I'm saying? But you, you get the feel of it. Absolutely. And I will tell you this by you taking what you're learning and, and not keeping it selfishly, but turning it out, you're, you're doing a great job at that. And I, yeah. I can't say enough. Thank yous, Dan, for joining us today and for being a part. Cause I know I've grown from it. And I know others will too. Thank you so very much. Yep. Thank you for the opportunity. What a blessing to sit down with Dan. My goodness. I love, I am fascinated with the story behind the story. You know, I've been following Leadership Freak for years and love all the stuff that, that Dan puts out there. But knowing his real journey, knowing his story makes all that he teaches and leads with and, and comes out with, it just makes it come alive. 
Thank you so much, Dan, for not making your life about you, but making your life about others. Because of that, you make us all better. Your resources that you put out, you don't keep to yourself. You use them to inspire and and give hope to those of us that are out there trying to get there. And knowing your faith journey makes it even more uh, enjoyable for me to know who you are. Thank you, Dan. You have made us all better. I know I'm sure better for it. Well, in our next episode, episode 61, we get to sit down with a gentleman that was voted in 2018 as one of Atlanta's most admired CEOs. His name is Pat Flood. Pat has really made a mark in the mortgage industry and today serves with Supreme Lending and is one of their top, top guys as a regional partner. And Pat is just an amazing, amazing leader who has a heart not only to be the best, which he is, but he has a heart for others and he has a heart for the Lord. If you're a CEO and you're a gentleman who leads an organization or a, a, a lady that leads an organization, you are going to love Pat's perspective. He's been at the top. He's been at the bottom. And he's risen to get back to the top. And those kind of stories never get old because you never know what's coming your way. So I can't wait for you to join me on episode 61 with Pat Flood. It's going to be a fun one. Well, if you enjoyed our podcast today, I hope you'll go to iTunes and leave a review. They really do matter because they help others find their way to Lynch with a Leader. And remember, it's not about my story. It's about other stories that have combined with God's story to make a difference in how they lead. Well, I hope you have a great day today. Go and live out your leadership with your faith out in front. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.